Welcome back. This is episode 40 of the Silicon Sasquatch podcast. Hope you haven't missed us too much in our brief absence, but we are definitely happy to join you again and to have you listening once more. Joining me, your host for this episode, Doug Bonham, all the way out in Japan, uh, along with me, I should say, are Nick Cummings. Howdy, hey. How's Seattle? A pack of roving dogs come to kill oh us all. Oh my god, one sec. You found, the, you found <laughs> the extra super special DLC for Last of Us, I guess. Or you're living it, rather. It's, it's more like Dark Souls, honestly. Oh god. And uh, our, other, our second guest for the night, our special guest, non-regular staff member, but a good friend of the website, I guess you could say. First one of those we've really had on our, on our podcast, is from Los Angeles, Dan Phipps. Hey guys, how's it going? Is going well. It's going well. Dan is a longtime friend of, I guess, myself, Nick, and and uh, a few of our other friends, and is also our guest tonight because we're bringing him on to talk about, well, his experience with gaming a little bit, but also his new board game, um, non-digital game. Ooh, those still exist, you guys. So we're going to have a nice little conversation about that today. Sounds good? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that went perfect. You might also know me from uh, laughing at Nick when he falls down things in uh, Dark Souls when he uh, streams that. It's it's good to laugh. We encourage it. That's really all you've got. That's uh, yeah. When you die, you lose everything else. Over and over. <laughs> I'm yeah. I haven't watched that stream archive quite yet, but I know exactly what that sounds like. Dan, yeah. Nick, and myself have spent some time playing games together. Gone to E th- or not E threes, but we've gone to Paxes together for sure, and spent many a time with with alcohol in one hand and a video game controller in the other. So this will be fun. Dan, so you have been a uh, video game video game nerd, video game geek like all of us for a long time, but you have a new project that is finishing up, wrapping up, and is ready to be released i guess in one form or another so please floor is yours thanks um i've been working with uh nick actually on a uh and a friend of ours named andrew kraus uh to develop a pen and paper rpg we worked on called arroyo um if you can, can you guys hear dogs barking like crazy in the background yeah is your life in danger yes um okay. and this is the most important thing to get out there uh, sorry about that, guys. Um, anyways. These are my final words. Yeah, Arroyo this, is a game. He died as he lived. Podcasting. <laughs> um, nah, so uh, my friends and I and, uh, have been working on developing a uh, pen and paper RPG, uh, which is a game in the style of Dungeons & Dragons, uh, uh, called Arroyo, which is designed to be super modular, super easy to work with, um, and to sort of cater to the needs of people who actually play these games to be flexible and let them and their friends tell the stories uh, they want to tell while still providing a solid, mechanically sound game experience that lets you make real tactical decisions instead of just being involved on the story side. So, uh, I'll play devil's advocate here since I've, you know, granted I've been working with Dan a little bit on this game, but... uh, So, you're talking about a storytelling collaborative environment with solid mechanics... So that's kind of what D&D's selling point is. So uh what are your uh what do you see as D&D's like bigger biggest failings in that regard or like what are the problems you want to solve? 
So D, I love D and D. I think D and D is a good game. Um, I think the problem is, and an area where board games and video games have really lapped this genre is D and D, and to a lesser extent, um, uh, Pathfinder both have this incredibly strong hold over the market. And that's starting to break up because there's such a low barrier to entry because all you really have to do is make a PDF uh, to to enter this field. But it's it's almost as if, you know, Risk was the only board game ever made for 30, 40 years. d and is a good game, but it's a very specific thing they're offering. And if you don't like, you know, Hobbit or Lord of the Rings style fantasy, if you don't like your games to be that tactically involved i mean the you know if you look at uh the those games are asking you to start playing to read three books which are dense books at that which seems insane like you can get playing most board games badly but you can still get them playing within 10 minutes of opening the box so what i'm hoping to do is provide something where all the materials you need are stuff you're likely to find in your own home um, and you'll be able to get from downloading the PDF to hijinks in as short a time as possible. Cool. That does sound really, really cool. And I guess also the other point that I know you've, we, we've tried to get you to write about this a couple of times. I know you've written about it for your own self, or you've also been interested in, in like this concept of lowering the barrier of entry to this type of stuff. Because like you said, there's three dense books to get into before you, can even start playing or start creating a character for a D&D game, which is just the most insane thing. Um, one of the best gaming experiences I've ever had in my life was with both Dan and Nick when another one of our friends was DMing a long um, Warhammer pen and paper game. So we would spend our summer or winter vacations and summer vacations from university going over to his house and playing this for you know however long every night and then coming back. And it was great, but the barrier to entry was knocked down by our friend being able to spend some time and spend so much time preparing and lowering it for us. So I know that's been your complaint because a lot of people will get into these games or a lot of people would enjoy playing these games, but they can't get past that just insurmountable just D20 wall that exists there. So what's the game, what's, what's, what have you done to try and lower that, and what's Arroyo going to do to, to help be, make that as low as possible? So this, there's, there's a couple of uh, things that I'm doing to, that'll hopefully lower that wall, and the first is, um, you know, video games have figured this out really well, and we're starting to see board games finally do it, but you got to have a tutorial. Like, you have to have something that sits down and says, all right, here's all the component parts, like all the stuff you need to know how to do to play this game as you are playing the game. So you don't have to, you know, you don't have to perform a a written or reading comprehensive examination before you're allowed to have any fun. Like, I have stopped trying to play, not Pandemic, uh, Paradox? Who makes the super intense strategy games? Paradox. Yeah, Paradox. I've stopped trying. Because they will not make a tutorial, and I'm not going to read a novel. If I'm going to read a novel, I'm going to read a novel. Like, that's, you know... Um, and it's, yeah. it's the same with D&D. Like, I'm not going to learn an entire system just for the privilege to then go through and pitch this game to my friends. 
And it's insane to me that, uh, A, these games don't have uh, the stuff built in to sort of educate people on, like, this is how you can have fun with our product, but also here's how you can, you know, introduce this to new people. It seems like, you know, like, no one wants to be the dungeon master. And I think anything you can do to make it like, and having done it for a long time for my friends, I went to go play a D&D game and got bored immediately because it was like, what, why do I have to wait my turn? I'm usually the guy who gets to make all the really awesome decisions and like listen to people and interact and improvise and have fun. I don't like playing a character anymore because it's DM or DMing or GMing or whatever you want to call it. But the person who sort of lays out the story and provides the adversaries as difficult as it is to plan sometimes, it's so much more fun than playing the game. And no one seems to be articulating this. And no one seems to be making the the leap from being a player to being the person who runs the game as short as possible. Um, so it seems like, in theory, there ought to be a way to get four people who've never played this game, this style of game, before to download a single product and just say, all right, here's what you're all responsible for, go. Um, and and have them sort of figure it out and figure out how to have fun with it. Yeah. Um, I, I would also mention that when it comes down to like base mechanics and resolving conflict, you've got a pretty, I think, uh, clever and very accessible solution with uh, your use of playing cards. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, let's talk about the meat of the game. Like, let, like I'm sorry we danced around a little bit, but let's let's talk about what the game is and what you do with it. Because I've heard a little bit of it, but I haven't actually heard in the details of what a game looks like or what you do with it. All right, so I could probably talk about this for days, so, you know, feel free to to send up a flare once I start getting super boring. But the idea (laughs) is, playing cards are what I'm using instead of uh, 20-sided dice. And the reason I'm using playing cards, A, is because everyone already has playing cards, and that's just a win. You know, if you ask your average person on the street, where do you buy a 20-sided die, they're going to ask what a 20-sided die is. Um, So it's, you know, and it's, it's, that's... A barrier to entry. So playing cards, everyone knows where to get them, what they are. They also have uh, something that dice doesn't have, which is where dice is just a random number generator. Cards generate uh, one in four symbols and, uh, you know, ace two through ten and jack through king, which is all these different dimensions you don't get with dice. Um, we're only using a couple of them now because we really want to keep it simple because it's, it's much easier to go from simple to complex with the mechanics, but it opens up like later on, if we want to up the complexity or have optional modules for rules, there's so much more we can do with it, which is, you know, I mean, obviously that's long-term thinking, but that's the hope. So, um, essentially it works like any dice pool game. Um, Shadowrun has a similar, uh, mechanic, but where they use six-sided dice, uh, we use cards. And basically, it just goes on, um, you know how cards have, like on regular bicycle cards, they've got the outside and then sort of the inside with all of the, the pips, the little symbols inside of it. That's the value of the card. So both, both the, uh, both the number, like if it's an eight, and then also the symbol, whether it's diamonds, spades, clubs, those are both values within the game? They are. So, for instance, if you, you have four stats, you've got uh, Brawn, Brains, uh, Finesse, and Savvy. Um, and each of those is paired with a different suit. 
And when you are pulling cards to use that stat, if any of the suits match with the stat you're trying to use, you can set a card aside to add that someone else can add later. Because you in the story have not only succeeded or failed, but you've done so in a way that has generated advantage for your friends. So maybe you're trying to shoot the thug, and you miss, but you pulled a, a spade, which would be for finesse, which is what governs shooting. You the, the you might say, well, I missed the shot, but I hit the fire extinguisher behind him, and now he's, you know, there's smoke everywhere, and he can't shoot accurately. Um, and later on, someone could say, well, I'm going to shoot at that guy who's coated in smoke, and I'm going to use this card because he's distracted, so it'll be easier to shoot. Um, and so that way, you're not only having this very clear mechanic benefit of separating out success and failure from advantage and disadvantage, but you also have this way for players to involve themselves in the story instead of people just rolling dice and then waiting for the the GM or the storyteller or whatever to, to feed them, okay, here's an interpretation. Um, and so that way you're taking some of the load off of the... Uh, the GM. I think that's what drew me honestly into the game more than anything when you were telling me about it too is because uh, I, I remember you know from, from the Warhammer days like our DM Peter consulting table after table and flipping through pages to like verify whether or not certain things could take place if a, a player character wanted to take a certain action like uh, distilling it down to four um, basic principles before governing forces effectively and then like leaving a lot of it basically use it as a way to keep the story moving forward rather than you know de deriving an absolute truth of like well steel great helms take six damage before they break unless they're you know etc cetera, etc cetera. i like that it just cuts right through that and keeps things it's it's so basic you can grasp it in 30 seconds i think that's really what's been what's absent from just about every other pen and paper game i've ever heard of yeah and not to sound too much like a shill or anything but Nick saying, you know, talking about, well, steel, like the rule specificity, like, oh, steel, great helms, do this much, made me want to instantly fall asleep. Whereas Dan bringing out the idea of, like, this can instantly lead to you creating your narrative in a, in a creative way was, like, engaging. And these type of words are really cliche in video games and talking about games, but it was that feeling. Well, and it's, it's one of those things where... Um... I had some super clever point to make, and it's it's totally escaped me in this moment, but that's fine. Um, it's it, one of the things, and there's a I think there's a Penny Arcade comic about this, but basically no two people play pen and paper RPGs the same way. Um, you know, I'm sure there's someone out there who's playing D&D &D with playing cards and just making the math work in their own special snowflake way, and that's awesome. I mean, good for them. But uh, the for me, looking at this project... If you, you know, they have rules for encumbrance to make sure that no one's carrying around 12 grand pianos. And that, that totally makes sense. I get why that's in the game. I have never once wanted, I've never seen a game improved by having to keep track of the number of arrows you have on hand. Like, that's not in the stories I interact with. Like, I watch TV, I read novels. At no point in any novel I've read is there like, here's the running arrow count for robin hood like well unless it's, if it's like a, a story mechanic like a chekhov's gun kind of thing where a guy checks his his you know his bullet supply early in the in the thing and says oh i only have three bullets and then you come to a firefight later he, he fires the first three off and goes oh no like that's the only time 
Yeah. Exactly. And so rather than trying to abstract, like, oh, here's inventory management without, like, being able... Like, video games can get away with that because you can drag and drop stuff and it fits in an inventory. But when you're talking about, like, having to have an Excel spreadsheet or do, you know, do math, which, you know, I mean, that's... It slows the game down. And if you want to abstract those kinds of moments of tension, you should be going for the moments of tension, not the you know, management aspect of it. Like, there's, if you, that, that's, it sounds an awful lot like that's, there are, let me just say, those types of games, the people who want to play those types of games are already well served. Those types of games are, make up the majority of popular RPGs right now, and they have that level of specificity and, uh, um, what am I thinking of? Like simulation of this is what it would, this is the reality of being an adventurer type of thing. And that's good. And those products should exist. But if you are going to go out and make a new product, you don't want to go out and say, oh, hey, I made D&D again. We got D&D. We got D&D, all kinds of D&D right now. Yeah. So, and they got like 40 years of experience of retooling their whole insanely complex inventory management systems. So... It's not it's not something you really want to tackle at this point, especially if it doesn't do anything for you personally. Especially if I'm not getting paid. I mean, if Wizards wants to <laughs> if if anyone from Wizards is listening to this, I will totally work on D&D next. Um but uh until then, you know, this is a project that I think I've got a couple of clever ideas. I've gotten some great feedback um you know, not only from like the the I'm really happy the uh the the included setting we're trying to make it so it's you can change the settings uh, however you want and have them really fit in with the rules. But I'm really happy with the included setting, which is basically uh, doomsday cults are uh, are not only common enough, but also are dangerous enough to warrant their own law enforcement agency. So it's midway through the apocalypse, everything's happening at once, and someone might be trying to end the world with Elvis's gold records, and so we've got cops for that. And that's who you are, and that's what you do. And, like, it's great because it stands out. Like, there's that's not a thing you... I mean, you could play that with D&D, but you'd really have to sit down and make your own stuff. What we're trying to do is is use the tools we have at our disposal to make it so that you can tell interesting stories by taking the component parts of other things and mixing them in interesting ways. Yeah, the emphasis is on the story you're telling and not on... The mechanics governing it, I think it's fair to say. Not not to discount the mechanics, but they exist to serve the narrative, I think, more so than the other way around. Yeah, exactly. And all the times that I remember the best from when we played pen and paper games or did this is from the stories that would encounter or the stories that would happen as opposed to like, oh, I love that moment when I got that, you know, D1 roll right when I needed it. And it was, no, nah, you remember the stories and what happens, not necessarily the mechanics that bring it ha- bring it to life. And when the with the mechanics being such an impediment sometimes to getting people who aren't like ready to dig elbows deep into the mechanical systems of D and D or Shadowrun or whatever else they want to use, like lowering that is a really really it, it should be done. And if this is what can do it, then that would be great. Well, and and talking about sort of the interaction between mechanics and story, there's a game that is almost perfect. Um, and I wish I'd thought of it first, called Dread, which is a pen and paper RPG designed for horror games, and instead of rolling dice or any other random mechanic, it's a Jenga tower. 
And every time you want to do something where there's a possibility of failing, you pull a brick. And the way it was explained to me is every time the tower falls over, something wet happens. (laughs) Yup. Now, this has a couple of problems. The first of which is it has an elimination mechanic, which is, in my mind, one of the cardinal sins of board gaming. You do not want to tell someone, okay, you're not allowed to play anymore. Because then what the fuck are they supposed to do except get drunk? And then you got to drive someone home. Yeah. But, like, we... I'm running a a game... uh, Fantasy Flight Games makes an RPG uh, based on Star Wars called called Edge of the Empire. Which, if you are not going to get my game, that's the next one on the list you should get. It's very good. But, I had a Halloween episode, and I played Dread with the same characters. And the same guy knocked the tower over three times. And now he has an evil Jedi living in his brain. And also, it's not clear if he died or not. I'm like, one of those, you see your corpse and you don't have time to think about it as you run away type of things. And it's, it, but like, the, the, what brought me here was that moment when the tower's about to fall over and you're really scared and the person running the game is just whispering like, you hear the footsteps following you behind and you're running as fast as you can, but it's like you're running through molasses and it's, you know, it's the perfect moment mixing the sort of physiological impact of playing Jenga and the story you're telling. And it makes for very impactful evenings of gaming. And so that's, in my mind, uh, that's really the gold standard is like, how do you get, you know, every time you try and shoot someone in a pen and paper RPG, you are gambling. You are trying to do something and you're not sure how it's going to go, and it might be a big win or it might be a big failure, and dice captures that well. Before you roll a die, when it's really important, there's a moment of tension of, like, how's this going to go? Or sometimes here goes nothing. Yeah, like, that sort of thing, and that's great. That's one of the strengths of this, and so trying to really get to the meat of that and capitalize on that as much as possible and to pick mechanics like... uh You know, using playing cards, people know Blackjack. They already know the rules for Blackjack. What does Blackjack feel like? You know, Blackjack's a push-your-luck mechanic. What what is a context where people in this game would be pushing their luck? Like, trying to take, you know, how how these activities feel and, and match that to how that would feel in the story. If we're having a thing, like, one thing I'm playing around with is including rules for magic where every time you try and do something, if you get a face card, that fuels your magic, which means magic feels very like you're walking along and all of a sudden you have this power built in that you didn't before, and it's unexpected and you can't really plan for it, which is a very different kind of magic than it is in D&D, which, you know, is fine, but that means when you sit down to say, here's how magic works in this game, it needs to be like you walk over ley lines and no one knows where they are, and they fuel magic, and it's mysterious and shit. Like, <laughs> that's the that's that kind of magic. And it may not work, you know, we're still fooling around with it, but, like, it, it's like anything else. You kind of have to sort of... It's like a snake eating its own tail or whatever. Like, you really want to sort of uh, make these mechanics fit this theme, but sometimes you need the theme to work, so you got to change the mechanics because they're not themey enough or the... etc. Yeah, yeah. So if you're building this game to be, you know, you got, you've got the built-in premise, which is good, but if you're building it to be kind of open, like letting people transpose 
these roles into their own universes or whatever you want to call it. How are you kind of, uh, what's your thought process for drawing the line between this is something I want to do myself and this is something I want to leave open to people who like the game who want to add on to it? Um, well, that's that's sort of an interesting distribution question as far as like how, you know, how do you want to interact with your, com- assuming that there will be a community, which is a, a somewhat broad assumption. There's there are plenty of people making indie RPGs, um, but I, I choose to dream. Um, <laughs> but uh, if it, you're right, I mean, how do you make it so that people can um, interact with the game while still having a high and under you know we are making a quality project. One of the problems that third edition D and D really had was anyone could make a book, and so you ended up with the what the hell is it called like the book of erotic fantasy or whatever which was horrifying um <laughs> yeah like, i don't think that needs much explanation to be to explain why that does or that why that would be horrifying good lord i think i just read about a skyrim mod that does that yeah, yeah anyway uh, i mean it's that's and you know that's one of those things where it's like look i'm not going to tell people when you're making pen and paper rpgs are unique because you are not building a game you're sort of making an engine so that other people can do the fun parts of game design. Like, I did, I'm not asking people to, like, really understand why I chose four stats instead of five or anything like that. I just want them to be able to sort of RPG maker their way through of, like, I want this story and these monsters go. Um, and that's good. That's, that's unique and excellent. And that's why I really think pen and paper RPGs are the best type of game is because no other platform can... In- can invite that level of creative control while being that fluid about how you go it because it's you just say there's a goblin and everyone around the table is like oh shit that's a goblin we gotta we gotta shoot him with our guns or whatever it is you're up to um what was i talking about uh, oh yeah so so you know when you when you are dealing with people um like at this point what i the, the plan is to have uh, a sort of, if you want to contribute content, we need this information. Um, you know, if you want to write a setting, we need all of these things filled out, and then that can be a setting. Um, I would love to have the problem of two people, too many people submitting content. Um, I, I would, that would make me so happy if I've got a Steam Greenlight caliber problem. Um, uh, but, I mean, I, I, think that uh you know if if people are making their own worlds or if they're coming up with their own rules to play with their friends it's got to work on some level um and i think if if you as a creator if you are going to act as a gatekeeper you need to create and make sure it's understood like you know just because you're giving this to us like this is this is the legal stuff like this is the that you like you get attribution, but, you know, if we're not making money on this, neither are you, type of thing. So it's, uh, there's no easy answer to that question, I don't think. But I, I, it would be lovely to have that as a challenge. Yeah, that definitely, uh, it's, it's a very good question, and it would be a lovely, lovely problem to deal with as well. Um, have you been testing the game as well? Have you been able to play it so far and to, like tested that on people who haven't been involved with the process and what's their reaction been so far the reactions have been really positive i think there's there early on one of the uh one of the results of testing 
uh, for a while, one of the stats was cool instead of what we what became savvy. Um, and I thought that I wanted a com- combined like ability to influence people and ability to stay calm. But the problem was the very first game uh, we played, or one of the early ones, someone tried to use their cool stat to roll their own cigarettes, which <laughs> is really cool, but is not the definition of cool I meant. You know, uh, like, yeah. I meant Samuel L. Jackson, we're going to keep cool, uh, <laughs> not, like, actually cool. So, you know, like, those sorts of things. So the... um. The playtesting process has been extremely useful, and I've been lucky because um, by by virtue of keeping things so so simple, there there have been big changes. But each each change is like like it has a big impact, and it, and each I've had to do relatively little playtesting to get it in the state it's in now. And I I think oh, wow. we are once we. There's a little bit more work that needs to go into it, but we're getting to the point where it'll be ready for other people to uh, download and play test and submit feedback uh, remotely, which will mean that we'll be able to get a lot more feedback and fine-tune things a bit better. Um, but yeah, playtesting has been... It's been humbling, that's for sure. Um, but I now know that my game can support talking animals, because that came up a surprising number of times. So what's like the best kind of um, like Civilization Five story of like this is what we did and this is what was awesome about it sort of story has happened so far in playtesting. Uh, I had a character land a uh, World War Two era fighter jet on a strip club. <laughs> <laughs> Just no joke. They were like, he was like, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna be, and I was like, it's gonna be really hard. And then he did it. And I was like, all right, you did that. And that's how they escaped from an exploding Zeppelin um, and uh, and delivered a uh, Nazi war criminal. And then they just hung out with, uh, with strippers until the police arrived. <laughs> that was a standout moment. That's also why I've not published the, uh, the results of those playtests. <laughs> and this, ladies and gentlemen, is why I always knew that Dan would make a good game designer, because at some point the set of nonsense would be happening. Hey, man, that wasn't even mine. That was my friend's. I was just like, yo, you're on a Zeppelin and it's blowing up. And that is where they went with it. You know, I, I've taken all of one improv class, but a lot of my friends through Lexi, uh, who, who is my darling fiance, um, like a lot of my friends are improvisers, uh, improv comedians and writers and so on. And so a lot of that sinks in and it's really like you want to get to yes, uh, when you're, when you're running this type of game and you want to build a game that will make it as easy as possible for whoever is in charge of the story to say yes. When someone says, I want to land a plane on a strip club, logically that is not a thing you can do. But, man, wouldn't it be cool? (laughs) So let's go with it, you know? It's the sort of thing that would happen in a really good over-the-top movie, but you would never see in D&D because the mechanics just wouldn't... Hey, Zeppelins are not in D&D as far as I know, but, you know, point being. Well, and that's exactly it. It's like you have... There are there's a, a a story that's so 4chan is a traditional games board and there's a story about the shark of the land or whatever and someone basically made a luchador 
and was able to roll grapple on a dragon, which then took off, and then he rolled pin and (laughs) pinned its wings behind its back and and pile drove it thousands of feet into the earth. And it's like, that's amazing. (laughs) That is an excellent thing. Why? But like most of the time when you fight dragons, if you read the rules as they are written, it's like ankle stab party yeah. simulator 2013. <laughs> like why? And why would I want to play that game? Not you're not gonna fucking you're not. Sorry, a little bit of a language there, but you're not going to do like a Frankensteiner on a dragon. Yeah, but you <laughs> dang well ought to do. And it's like one of those things where like. Whether they meant to or not, in Final Fantasy VI, you can suplex a ghost train. (laughs) That is what I took away from that game. I know it's a masterpiece. I suplexed a train. And everyone I talked to is like, oh, just use Phoenix down and it dies automatically. Nope. Nope. I'm going to, you know. So, like, why are we, like, that's the kind of stuff that, like, you can't really plan for it. But you can give people the tools and give them the flexibility and trust that like, okay, you know, you've got a background in, in wrestling. So you get an extra card. It's a hard thing, but here we go. Like (laughs) try and suplex a dragon. Exactly. One of the best things that ever happened in our Warhammer stories was the rat geyser. Oh yeah. Peter still talks about the rat geyser. I still talk about the rat geyser. (laughs) What was the setup for that? Like, Somebody decided it was a good idea to to tie some fit some some dead meat on a line and send it down into there to pull these rats out of a cave. I can't remember. Oh uh, yeah, I mean it was that that's basically what it boils down to. I mean I'm sure it took us hours of planning, but um... it wasn't hours. It was like a half hour or so. We we're like, what should we do about this? Because there was a it was Warhammer fantasy role playing. We're trying to be our man, band of adventurers, and for some reason between us and our goal was this cave full of the warhammer skaven which are like little rat men so somebody decides to to, the best course of action is to send like a fishing line basically with some sort of meat or something down into the hole it was jerky it was jerky jerky right and then pulls it back out it's like it became the rat geyser just this fountain of rat men pour like come flying back out of the, the, the small cave and then i think we had a battle with about I don't know, eight or nine or whatever of them, but it was, it's memorable. It's a memorable storytelling thing. And it doesn't like, we talked about this earlier. The mechanics aren't what you remember from games like this. It's the stupid things like that. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, you know, people say you don't win at D and D and that's just not true. You win at D and D when you make a rat geyser or you win (laughs) at D and D when you suplex a, a dragon and you do that by setting up your friends for success and you do that by listening to people when they have madcap ideas and saying, I'm going to let you try that and we'll see. how." And that's what's unique about it from a storytelling perspective, because when I sit down to write a story, if I were to do, engage in that, you know, at no point does Microsoft Word say, actually, he doesn't open the door. The door explodes like that doesn't happen. And that would be a terrible word processor if it did. And, but yeah, Clippy needs to keep his thoughts to himself. Yeah, right. It looks like you're trying to open a door. Roll a d twenty. Um, <laughs> Even without the that sort of improv training that your friends have, and, oh my god, I, I don't, I didn't connect the dots that you've got such a good playtesting group. Because if anybody's gonna break 
the mechanics of a game like that. It's going to be people who can, who live by the creed, yes, and. Yep. But at that at that point, like normal people, I think one of the, the favorite things that I love to do is always just to sit around and tell stories and to bullshit with people and to just break down barriers and talk about interesting times in life. But people are storytellers, naturally, whether they actually do that as a living or whether they can do that as a living or they're not that good at it either way people want to tell stories and to make that a game that you can do so very easily is is great well we're that's the hope you know is it's it's one of those things where like there's a lot of people who would love to play this style of game but the problem is is the only stuff available is either super dense and super complicated or there's there are rules light rpgs out there but a lot of times it go they they're so they have so little in the way of mechanics favoring the storytelling that you don't have a, a solid floor to build on. And so what I'm hoping to provide is something with very clear mechanics that makes it very easy when something works and when something doesn't work, but also gives you the room to embellish and say, well, it's it's more than you missed. Here is another detail or something. Yes, to make it the simplest way to get from starting a game. And then getting to suplexing your own dragons or landing on your own strip clubs on your own. There you go. That's the dream. That's a back-of-the-box quote right there. Right there. Yep. And I think that's where we're going to call it for today as well. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with us, Dan. I hope we can have you on again to talk about other sorts of games and other things as well. Because you are far too good a mind for games and far too good a friend to stay outside of our circle for so long. Sure. Well, uh, let me know and we'll, we will absolutely talk again. Let, let's see. Let's go around the table. Um, tell, tell us about your location on the internet and plug yourself. Let's begin with Nick. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, you know me. You know me if you're listening to this. Probably. Uh, but I'm on Twitter at Nick Cummings. Uh, I am kind of getting a little bit less terrible at Dark Souls on twitch.tv slash whymog, W-H-Y-M-O-G come watch me die and uh, yeah I, I, I've i been wanting to play some Quake 3 Arena lately so if that sounds good just shoot me a uh, Twitter message oh my god, okay um, let's keep that in mind DM17, Dan, where about you? Uh, so all of my game design stuff can be found at uh, cactuscatgames.com uh, you can download a playtest version of the Arroyo tutorial, and we're hoping to update that with a more robust suite of, uh, you know, better uh, published rules and and more content in the coming weeks. Um, I'm on Twitter at it's Dan Phipps, uh, all one word. Um, and if you want to uh, watch me watch Nick, go ahead and go to twitch.tv slash ymog. <laughs> I forgot one last thing, too. Um, sorry. Uh, I've also been, uh, I think it'll be mentioned before, uh, but I forgot to plug it last time. Uh, if you want to see the games I've been making that are video games, none of this pen and paper uh, elegance, you can hop over to ymog.itch, like something you scratch, .io and uh, everything I've done in Unity is up there. All right, we'll have to talk about that some other time. And I am on Twitter at Douglas Bonham. I play video games poorly on PSN at Harper DC. And of course, you'll find us at siliconsasquatch.com. So for all of us here and for Dan, thank you very much. Good night.